0: Think big, think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Thanks. Super Bowl, a World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans and the next, boom, your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley, are you with me?
1: Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter. Also a broker here at StoneX, I specialize in grain and oil seeds. And on our team, we have experts in energy, experts in the dairy markets, uh, livestock, um, interest rates, fertilizer, plastics, you name it. If you have any questions about what we do or what I do here, you can give me a call at 312-706-7610. You can also email me at craig.turner at stonex.com. You can follow me on Twitter, which I'm getting more active. I've been threatening for a while and that's happening uh, at Turner's take. And it's actually at Turner's underscore take. I'll have some information on that in the show notes. If you're listening to this uh, on the phone, if you're watching our video now, so we'll be posting the video along with the audio file in the podcast. I'll have it up on the screen too. So, um, If you like the podcast, please go to iTunes, give us a positive review, send it along to a friend. Uh, You can also check out my newsletter at turnerstake.com, www.turnerstake.com, and um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So let's get into it here. We're going to go over two things, I think, today, but because we do have the video of it along with the audio... We have to go quickly just over a disclaimer. Uh, there is risk in futures and options, and at the end of the podcast, you're going to be hearing me talking about that also too. So, there is risk in futures, options, and swaps. All right, so here we go. We've got. Uh, I'm going to go into the macro markets first. Then we're going to grain and oil seeds. I want to talk about crude. We've been talking about crude, and eventually one day it's going to be bullish because what happens? You keep supply down for long enough. And demand eventually comes back with the economy, and you're naturally going to get higher energy prices. The question is, are we starting to see that? I have a chart up here. I'll include it in the show notes for the people on the podcast app. Um, if you're watching the uh, if you're watching the video online, you can see it right now. But at 85, there is a very big resistance level, 84, 85, and crude, the front month of crude, looks like it wants to break out. We've been trading in this range of high 60s to low 80s since the end, like since Thanksgiving of 22. And during that time, we've been concerned about recession. I mean, all the recession talk, the Fed raising the rates, right? Raising the rates aggressively to fight inflation. Inflation eventually comes back down. Job market isn't so bad. It looks like we actually got a soft landing, knock on wood, on the economy. And things might be start growing again. Also, during all this time, to, which helped keep crude oil and energy prices down, the United States, for whatever reason, was releasing crude into the SPR, or from the SPR, Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve. I guess to keep prices in the 70s, or not too sure there, because that's really when you want to be, be buying crude. Uh, just taking a look at the historical prices, and now there's really now that we're rallying up into the 80s, there's no more crude from the SPR to release. And OPEC has been cutting supply as things have been going down. I mean, it's interesting, as the United States have been selling crude, the OPEC had been cutting uh, cutting supply to kind of negate that. And here the United States is now in this uh, situation where they want to buy crude in the low 70s um, or high 60s, and we could be rallying into the 80s or 90s if, if this trajectory starts. Now, is that going to happen? I don't know. For sure, known as a crystal ball. But I'm going to give you two pieces of information on why we're talking about this today and how we could why this could be setting up for a breakout. So on the crude, I have one chart in here. It's U.S. crude oil demand. The source is the EIA. And just so we're clear here, we're talking about daily barrels per day and where we are in the range. You know, this chart I have, we have a three year range. We have a one-year trend line. We have the current year and the rolling week average and the four-week rolling average. And here's the deal. We are at the highest point on daily demand, right, Uh, than we've been for the past three years. So it's 2023. That means 22, 21, 20, basically since COVID, -COVID, post-COVID, post-shutdowns. Highest demand, you know, that we've average demand that we've been seeing for the past three years. You can check, take a look at that, take a look at that chart. The chart number two that I want to go over, or the stat number two crude oil days of supply. So for days of supply, we usually have about on average 30 to 35 days of su- supply of crude oil on hand. In the past three years, like in the depths of COVID, it was well over 40 days of supply when demand stunk. And then when demand gets really tight, it's like at about 25, and that's about as low as it gets since, or not, low low it has gotten in the past three years, I should say. We're back in February. We are at about 30 days of supply, 33 days of supply. Usually, you see, sometimes that can, you know, it did get weaker during the summer months, and we got down to the 20s. What's interesting is we're now at the end of August, beginning of September and we're at the lowest point we've been in the past 3 years. Meanwhile, the economy is growing. And there's the Fed has already raised the rates. Like I don't think they're going to raise any more. If they do, it's going to be a little. We're not going from you know we went from 0 to 5. We're not going from 5 to 10, right? We might go to 5 to 6, but we're not going 5 to 10 knock on one. hopefully otherwise what a disaster that would be. But um Right so so, and the economy's starting to grow, OPEC's not budging, the United States still needs to buy oil for s p r We're not exactly drilling all over the place for oil, so when you add all these things up, if crude was going to break out, you know the if we're playing the odds here, if we get some real economic growth, if there's some green shoots and the United States and the rest of the world really starts to come out of come out of it, we could see the crude oil market be be kind of stressed here so. If I'm just go back to my chart for a second, if I'm looking at, you know, looking at crude and we do think we're going to be above 85 and go to the next level, the next level for crude in terms just purely technical looking on the trend lines here is like 85 to 98 with really the bulk of the volume trading when going back to 2000, you know, for the second half of 2022 being between, let's say, 85 and 92, 93. Living in that area, it'll be interesting to see if it does. I'm open to looking into future spreads. Uh, we can look at uh, trying to trade a breakout. We, you know, if you are on the buy side, and you need to hedge energy. Now would be a good time. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people were buying when we we're in the 70s and the related products when crude was trading in the 70s. But you know, if you've been waiting for something or you need to catch up, this is probably the time to catch up. Uh, and then on the spec side, I don't know, buying call spreads, selling put spreads. This is not a direct trade rack. It's just a strategy people would use if they're bullish, if they're bullish the market. And I think those are the if you want to talk about it and go into greater detail um, or follow along with Turner's stake newsletter um, where we do where we can get a little bit more into recs, Definitely can't down social media like this. Um, those, are, those are kind of the ideas that that we would be looking at and um but you really gotta you really gotta you can either talk to us or figure you know figure one out on your own but it does look to me like if we if the days of supply keep on trending down the way they have and the demand stays the same the way it has on those two charts an economist my economist professors at nyu would say which i got my mba at would say we're going higher that that would be that would be their economic analysis and you can and i think that's what we're seeing on the chart right now so we'll see we'll see and um if you're going to use the future spread market it would be you'd probably be looking at the long leg december and then you'd be choosing a back month for the bearish leg june is is usually a good one because it has a lot of volume and open interest and then if you want to go farther out you go to these 24 and those months because there's just so much commercial um, volume and open interest. If you look at the, the stats between the months you'll you'll see that too. They're the more the, one of the more liquid months. All right. So that's my idea on crude. I think it's time to you know I'm I'm friendly, friendly in the crude oil market. For the second half of this podcast, I want to go over the grain and oil seed markets. We're going to talk corn first, then we're gonna go soybeans and canola going to wrap it up with wheat. Here's the thing. I'm going to talk about two things. One, just where I think we are now as we transition from old crop to new crop. As we transition seasonally from a bearish time to a bullish time seasonally and reason-wise for that. And then I want to talk about the 24-25 crop. So the crop we're going to be planting next year and the acres. Okay. So there's a lot. On So I'm going to have my tables. I'll post them online. In the in the show notes, and they're here on the online presentation, which is nice. The nice thing about having the video presentation, I've noticed, is it's easier to display the charts. It's hard, like when you're on a screen on a phone and you're looking at the podcast notes, and it's uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. This is a lot easier um, if you look at the video. So I'm looking at right now a supply and demand table of corn. If new crop is we've you know we. Where we know it's not, or we think we know it's 94 million acres, the insurance data may change a little bit, so some people are thinking. But thinking around 94 million acres, uh, the latest crop tours had corn at a 172 yield. Some people are arguing for high 160s. I'm just going to use a 172 yield. At a 172 yield and modest demand, we're still at a 1.9 billion carryout on corn, which is on the line of adequate burdensome not adequate to tight so it's hard to argue for corn being five dollars or more if we're talking 172 173 or higher now if we're lower if we're 170 i understand low fives if we're below 170 and all of a sudden ending stocks are 1.5 and stocks usage is below 10 then i can see then, any, then then prices above 550 and above are justifiable as you get into different times of the year and weather markets and when demand's strong and not. like On the balance sheet, that would make sense. But if we're talking a 172 yield in this current demand, it doesn't, all right? So one thing about old crop or new crop. Seasonally, corn tends to top out sometime in May and June into July as... There's usually some kind of summer high weather market rally. You get past the 4th of July. Usually prices come down. The only time it doesn't is when you have a severe drought and they'll rally right into the summer, fall and winter. You know, it did that in the United States in 12 when corn went, these corn went to eight. And it did it two years ago for the Canadian crops for canola and spring wheat when they lost 40, thirty to 40 percent of their production. This is not that type of year. So usually what we'll see is we'll bottom out sometime in end of august or in september that's what the seasonal pattern persists the reason i mean why is not only does a lot of old crop have to be priced and stored and cleared out the new crop coming on the market anything that's stored gets stored but if it doesn't get stored it's got to be sold so more pricing pressure right and then once that part of the cycle gets done the sales stop and not only do the sales stop so you, have, you don't have that pricing pressure more export demand comes online because we have new crop available. So you see a pickup in export. And also you can have, you can start having South American weather rallies. That's why that seasonal pattern exists. Like that's, that's what's going on. So if we're looking at corn, I don't know, we could have a, cor- we could have rallying corn if we're at like 480, 485 today. And you just kind of look at a normal, Hey, harvest, pr- harvest pressure eventually ends. We get more export demand. Maybe we get some complications of weather in South America. And I can see 525 in a 2 billion carryout. Like that wouldn't, when you look at a that wouldn't be unreasonable to think you get that. That'd be an average kind of rally and whatnot. But if we're at like 173, 174, that's a that's a tough hill to climb over five. But if we're under 170, then you know we can you can get moving fast in corn, especially if you got some weather issues. And let's remember. El Nino could be a threat this year in South America. And in an El Nino year, Argentina production tends to be pretty good on average. So does South part of Brazil, but it's central and Northern Brazil is the part of the country that actually has the, the precipitation de- deficits. More like you know, statistically, that's, what we'll, that's the kind of weather pattern you see in, in El Nino. And if that happens, then yeah, we would be building weather premium quite fast in soybeans and then to a lesser extent, um, soybeans and canola, and to a lesser extent into the corn and may, maybe the wheat market. Um, but that's where we are. So if I'm a buyer of corn, an end user uh, for, what, for whatever reason, I'd be using this period here to kind of get, get your coverage take it squared away um, at, between now and let's say the summer, because who knows what's going to happen? Right, um, and prices are relatively cheap compared to where we've been the past three years. I'm not saying corn's cheap. I'm saying compared to the last two to three years, with six, seven, and eight-dollar corn, the fact that we're sub-five and a four-handle on a balance sheet on a corporate budget looks attractive compared to where people are buying corn the past couple of years. Um, on and honestly, if you get and if you get a weather rally, you're going to be you know there's more risk. To the upside, to the downside. I mean, corn could, if South America has a drought, corn could go from 450 to 650. If, but on the flip side, I, if they have a great crop, I don't think we're going from 450 to 250, right? And you can see a world where you get a drought and you go up two bucks. You know, there's, I don't think there's, I don't think we're going down two dollars. Um, to last time we traded 250 corn was uh, before renewable fuel standards, so. That's out that's probably out the window, um though we did have crude go below zero once, so I guess never say never, but you know what I mean on new crop corn for this is for twenty four twenty five and for farmers out there, I'm going to get to the to my thoughts next. when I take a look at corn, soybeans, and wheat and acres for next year there's there's two kind of schools of thought here: one, you go out and you do a survey which farm futures did. I'm always very appreciative of those guys that do it. I love to see it. They had like 93 million acres corn. I want to say they had 85 million acres soybeans and like 52 be- 52 wheat. And that mix makes sense. There's nothing you know, out of the normal of that mix when you combine those acres and see where we are. Um, you can make the case that we're probably heavy corn and light soybeans. And the wheat number seems appropriate from the economist's point of view. But... Um, and I'll get that into a second. So if I am on Farm Futures, I'm using their Farm Futures number, 2020-25, 24-25 crop year, 93 million acres, 182 yield, we're over 3 billion in the ending stock. We're over 20% in stock to usage. I mean, I've been saying for a while now, we will not know what the new lows are for corn until we have very burdensome corn crop numbers. Well, let me tell you something, if we're 93 million acres and a 182 yield, We will find out next year what the new low in corn is. Um, Now, the economist in me says, you know, ninety-three million acres sounds high, and the market is going to price corn and soybeans and wheat appropriate to encourage more soybean acres, um, more wheat, and less corn. In theory, that that'd be like that'd be the economist's view of an efficient market, which. You can, we can talk all day about if markets are efficient or not, but that would be the theory. Now, in that theory, when I do the numbers, um, and I have you know my education background is economics, I have 89 to 90 million acres on corn. And if I have 89 to 90 million acres on corn, then and a the trend line yield, I have ending stocks at like 2.7 billion, which isn't so bad. If you, I mean, it's not great, but it's not so bad. I have a stock to usage of eighteen percent. Um, I'm probably in the low, probably in the four, I'm probably in the low fours at that point. I'm thinking, but it's a lot better than the uh, the three dollars, uh, or it's a lot better than three billion. Which I, mean, I guess we get the three dollars, we got a three billion carryout or something like that. So, anyways, so if I'm a farmer and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking to myself, man. I may need to be a little aggressive here on that 24 crop. If I'm a buyer, I'm really more concerned about the rest of this year and into the spring and summer. So you can you, you can see how it's the same analysis. It just depends on what side of the trade you're on. On the spec side, we had been bearish corn and we've been bear spread corn and we've been buy, we were buying put spreads and selling call spreads. Uh, it's the it it's time to actually kind of reverse those. Um, so we're going to start to see more more pressure. So on the spec side, I think you got to start turn bullish. I think on the old crop side, you got to start turning bullish. And if you are a farmer, you got to look at that 24 new crop and start to, to start to think um, what you want to do here on that. Uh, also at StoneX, one of the things that we uh, we have here is um, cash contracting now. So if you don't want to get into the futures options, futures and options markets, uh, you can con- you can contact me. We can do cash pricing here at the desk. And what's nice about that is not only can you get to do the cash contracts, you can deliver to wherever you want to. You're not tied down to any one location, which also lets you shop around not only just by location, but also for basis. Um, and it's a very, very interesting product that we have here. Now I'm happy to talk to anyone about it. I and mean, for this 2024 that we're talking about right now, it'd be perfect for. All right soybeans and canola so oh and by the way that'd be a us product because i'm going to start talking we're going to talk about canola here and i know we do have canadian listeners so for soybeans and canola one i'm gonna go over soybeans first uh at 83 million acres and i'm using a 49.7 yield um that's the far that's the pro farmer yield yeah if you plug and chug the numbers you get an ending stocks like of 165 which is unrealistic but that's what you get but the reason why I say it's unrealistic is exports wouldn't stay at 1.8 or 1.825 billion bushels if we have a 40, if we're, if we're sub 50 on the yield. We would definitely use that, lose exports and we lose exports to South America. Um, Brazil has the beans to export. So if the prices get too high here, our some of our traditional clients and business goes down to South America and makes up for it. So I know sometimes people think, you know, uh the USDA plays a game where they bring down exports, bring down demand. It's not a game. It's real. Like It, it really would happen. If, if we have a 49 or 49 and a half yield, where exports in the United States will probably come down to 1.6 or 1.65 or 1.7 billion, and it allows ending stocks to still be around 200 million for soybeans. Now, it still means elevated. It means beans in the teens. But because South America and Brazil particularly have the soybeans, keeps prices in check now if S- South America were tight it'd be a different problem you know if South America were very tight and all of a sudden we're very tight that creates a situation where you can have all-time highs but that is not the case right now uh, could could that mindset change if South America has a really bad go of it this fall and winter yes but that's not where we are right now when I so if I'm on the soybean side, I'd actually be looking at bull spreading the futures. Um, as soon as we start going, you know, if you want to be bullish, and if you want to be bullish, and I actually subscribe to this theory that we could have a weather market in South America or any kind of weather market in South America gets soybeans up and running fast. Like I I understand that argument because thirteen to fourteen dollar new crop beans. Within the same carryout, once it hits old crop, you know when you take a look at price regression models, you're closer to like $15 in soybeans when it's old crop, right? Because now we're really rationing and trying to bring as many acres in production out of South America as possible. So if you're of that mindset, I'd probably be looking at the soybean spreads. Uh, Trading the futures would be difficult just due to how strong the moves can be. And then also it would be, um, I think... uh, the options would be pretty expensive, so I w- I'd be looking at there. As far as like a producer, just so you know, eight you know next year, eighty-seven million acres, um, eighty-seven million acres, and fifty-two yield. Um, you know, we still we base it at eighty-seven million acres and fifty-two yield. I think what happens here is we get um, two hundred million more, two hundred million more uh, ending stocks from year to year. So from this year to next year. That's what it adds to the balance sheet. Which is what I'm expecting based on the economics. 89 to 90 million acres of corn, 78, I mean 87 to 88 on the soybeans. Finally on the wheat, uh, you know farm futures are saying about fifty two million. I was thinking fifty-one million. I think that's appropriate. Eventually we're gonna get a decent crop here in wheat. I mean the Kansas City wheat season was just hard red winter wheat just had such a tough time. Eventually, you're going to get a good wheat crop and man, are we due for one. And if we do get 52 million acres and a 49 yield, our ending stock's are going to be above 800 million. And when that happens, that means we go from tight to adequate. So if from the economist's point of view, you have 89 million acres corn, 87 million acres soybeans, 51, 52 million acres wheat, all the markets start to become adequate to burdensome And no one market loses out. Like in the 93 million acre corn scenario and 85 million acre soybean, I mean you have corn at in the threes and beans in the teens. It just just doesn't make sense. That the market will the market will price the products appropriately to bring those back in. In my opinion, my opinion. And and then with wheat at 30% ending stocks on wheat, that's tight. And gotta remember with wheat, 85% of wheat is used for human consumption, and it's the cheapest part it's the cheapest protein or calories that we have. So if we start getting even sniffing tight, the market goes crazy. Corn and soybeans market doesn't care as much. We can get 10% stock to usage and then they'll start then they'll start to care cuz remember, we don't use 85% of soybeans and 85% of corn for calories. We use corn for feed, we use corn for energy. You can always cut back a little bit on that, right? You don't have to have so much animal protein. You know, there are cheaper protein, and calories out there. You know, For energy, we don't have to use so much ethanol and renewable biodiesel. For fuel, you know, we can cut back and use more fossil fuels. Uh, but with wheat and with rice and maize throughout Latin America, um, you can't eat the dirt. Like That is going to be your most basic and accessible and cheapest calories out there. So well, the world is going to want to see a build in major export stocks above 15%. For for wheat and the and you get to forty percent in the United States, all of a sudden we're going to have adequate stock levels. For the past three, two to three years, I've been saying up oh, since 2021. I've been saying there aren't enough acres out there to have adequate stocks for everybody. Alrighty, um, for all the markets that's somewhat there's going to be winners and losers. This is the first year as long as knock on wood we have a good growing season where there are enough acres to go around to get all the major grain and oil seed markets back to adequate stock levels. So there is risk to the downside. So if I'm a wheat farmer and I'm looking at uh, next year's crop, I don't know, I'm thinking probably using you know some hedges too. And if you know, you're your client of ours, or you want to be a, a client of stone X, I would actually start taking a look using our, our, our cash pricing service here at the desk here at stone X. And you could, basically start selling 2024 wheat, um, based on futures prices, you can deliver where you want to, when you're ready, you can lock in the basis, wherever you want to, when you're ready. And if we did want to do any kind of, um, you know, selling calls to gain some extra premium or those kind of strategies, we can do that. It would just be, it would just be on the, um, all right, I am back here. so that's an interesting part of uh, doing the video uh, when you get uh, had a little bit of a fire there. I do sit on a trade desk or at least I do when I'm at home. So uh, but anyways, um, with the wheat market, it just when I just take a look at corn, soybeans, wheat, and also canola, I want to talk about canola too. Um, listen, oil seeds, we're tight now and we're gonna be elevated eventually prices do break. I will say the one thing I, I do like about soybean, about canola here is, whilst we can get a lot of soybeans in South America, and that is a substitute, we, we're we not gonna get a whole lot of canola until Canada can pre- produce it. So there is a little bit of a premium probably that's gonna be built in to canola as you know the dairy. If you're feeding meal for dairy, Canola meal is preferred over soybean meal. Um, A lot of uh, cooking oil, you know, you'll see canola having a premium over soybean oil and the blended vegetable oils. So there will be, I think canola holds its price fairly well also. I wouldn't be, I'd be interested in, in, you know, kind of having the same plays in canola that we're talking about in soybeans. So to wrap things up here, um, I am going to be on the road. I'm going to be basically October through March in December. I'm going to be at the Nebraska Ag Expo in January, early January. I'll be in Kansas city for FarmCon. I will be at the end of Jan beginning of Feb is the Iowa Ag Expo. The end of Feb beginning of March is commodity classic. I'll be there with stone X. Um, and Which I'm very excited about. I'm very appreciative of StoneX doing that. And then for my own clients in Turner's Take, uh, I've StoneX has been encouraging us to get on the road and actually start having Turner's Take shows. So uh, I'm going to be in central Illinois, central Indiana, and the northern part of South Dakota this year. Uh, that's those seven spots are pretty good coverage. Well, not counting commodity classic. The other six spots are pretty pretty good coverage of the Midwest. If you are a client and you're just not in any one of these areas, and you do want me to come out, um, I can. You know what? The, one of the really nice things about working for a Fortune 100 company is there's an actual travel budget that I uh, that I have access to, and um, I'm happy to talk to anyone about trying to make some kind of visit work. I do plan on being. Out of the office for a couple of days each month between October and March, taking a couple of days to go to maybe two days to go to Nebraska, two days to go to Iowa, two days to go to Kansas City, maybe a little bit longer with uh commodity classic, but the same thing with uh you know a day or two in Illinois and Indiana, and then um well, the are a little bit harder to get to that may that may add an extra travel day, but you get the point next six months at October to March. I will be out in Midwest. Would love to come and see you. I'm also available for you know, events too. So thanks for everyone for listening. If you have any questions, let me know. If uh, all my contact information is in the show notes of the of the app that you're listening to this podcast to, And then if you're watching the video uh, on the screen here is all my contact information too. Happy to talk to anyone. Thanks everyone for listening. And the next time you see me, I'm going to probably be in the media room in uh, the Federal Reserve building where Stonex has our All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great long weekend, and I'll talk to you all soon.
0: This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniel's Trading broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniel's Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.